Since we have our house high schoolers from the Kodongbu in the back, I'm going to be preaching today in Korean. <웃음> 오늘은 특별히 한국말로 설교하겠습니다. 너무 신나지 하지 마세요. 저 농담입니다. 농담. <웃음> 하고 싶지만 저 한국말이 많이 서툴해서 조금 더 배운 다음에 다음에 노력해 보겠습니다. All right. Uh, to our church community, uh, I want to remind you that next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, and each first Sunday of the month we have our financial restoration fund uh, offering that goes out. And so I want to ask everyone to please prepare your offering for next Sunday. And for all the people that will be on missions and won't be able to partake in the offering next week, uh, we will open up an EFT option uh, so that you can send in your offering to the Restoration Fund. Uh, restoration Fund for our church uh, is a fund that helps to help people who are going through financial crisis so that we can eliminate poverty in our covenant community. All right, very good. Please open up to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verses 5 through 15. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 15. Follow along as I read from the ESV version. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in a rightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of, my, of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people. Verse 10. It pleased the Lord as Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Verse 15. And Solomon awoke, and behold... It was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That's like the per tabernacle back then. 
and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. It's the word of the Lord. Yeah, some of y'all are traditional people, right? Thanks be to God. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I used to say that too. Now we read in this account of Solomon. He's just been appointed as the king over Israel. And it is a people that is numbering into probably the millions by now. And very similarly uh, to the church today, back then Israel was God's people. Today, the church is God's people. The church also all over the world right now is numerous. It's a multitude too great to count. And any time that God calls a man or a woman to serve in the ministry, we also ought to have this kind of crisis moment like Solomon did. If we're really honest with ourselves, we ought to have these crisis moments where we take, come before God and say, God, I need your help. How can I govern and lead and shepherd and pastor these great people of yours? So Solomon, here is a guy who really understood the task that he was faced with. You know, but, you know, too many people, you know, when, they, when they're called into the ministry, when they're called in to do great things for the Lord, you know, they don't really see themselves with a sober mind. And so they try to take it on according to their own devices, according to their own understanding. And that gets only so far. But here Solomon, he understands that he needs the help of the Lord. And this is a dream, by the way. It's not like Solomon is worshiping in the sanctuary and then an angel appears or the voice of the Lord starts ringing through the sanctuary. He's sleeping. He's dreaming. But God appears to him in this dream. and says, ask whatever you wish. Now, the Bible does not indicate that God inspired Solomon to say the words he did. Now, this is out of Solomon's own initiative. And the one thing he asks for is wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. In the Greek, the wisdom is Sophia. In Korean, it's Jihe. In Spanish, it's wisdomo. I don't know. What is it? What is it in Spanish? Anybody know? Hey, Susie, what's in Spanish? Huh? Okay, yeah, that. Whatever Susie said. I can't hear her. <clears throat> Solomon asked for wisdom. And the Bible says later in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Do you know that when you ask God for wisdom, you know, he gives you wisdom. Solomon got wisdom. I mean, it was in, I, I believe it was in proportion to the stewardship he, he was called to do was to be a king. You know, if he was called to be, you know, the janitor for the palace, you know, I'm sure that God would have gave him wisdom in proportion to his stewardship. You know what I mean? And, and so God gives him this great wisdom. And it's also interesting that he wrote a thousand and five songs. Any musicians in here? Songwriters in here. You want to write 
the next Opa Gangnam Style? Or you want to write the next big praise and worship song? You need the wisdom of God. When you have the wisdom of God, man, you write a song and the whole world will sing that song. You know, and so uh, it's interesting that, that Solomon was a songwriter. I thought that was interesting. Is that interesting to you? He wrote 3,000 Proverbs, many, many of whom we have compiled in the Proverbs here, right? That's interesting too. Like Proverbs are kind of, it's kind of like poetry. It's like smart little quotes in a, in a poetic style. I think that's what Proverbs are. I just made that definition up. But uh, he asked for wisdom. He was able to write these amazing Proverbs. And so today I want to talk about wisdom because our church, New Philadelphia, uh, Pastor Benjamin prophesied over us that God has taken this church whose vision is to raise up an army of mighty warriors. Our very nature of our church, we're very militant. I don't know if you've noticed that. But when we praise God, it looks like we're about to fight somebody. When we pray, we pray with no apologies. We pray like we're confronting the very gates of hell. That's because it's just the, it's just the DNA of our church. We're here to raise up an army of mighty warriors. But it was very interesting because last year, Pastor Benjamin prophesied that you had your season of warfare. And let me tell you right now, we had our season of warfare. I was looking back on my journals from 2009 and 2010. And let me tell you, we had our seasons of warfare. I mean, there were all kinds of attacks that our church had to face and that your pastor had to face. And a lot of it was friendly fire, by the way. It wasn't fire from secular media. They don't even know about us. It wasn't, you know, fire from business people. It was fire from within the church. But there was a lot of warfare that our church endured. There's a lot of demonic attack, a lot of witchcraft, controlling type of spirits that we confronted. But last year, Pastor Benjamin prophesied, God has shifted you. And he declares over you, your warfare has ended. And he's taking you from the Davidic season into the Solomonic season. When he first said that, I was like, Salah, what? <laughs> it's the season of Solomon. And he, he distinguished between the two uh, kings. He said, in the season of David, uh, King David's reign, there was a lot of war. And the Bible says David was a man of warfare. His hands were bloodied. And so God did not permit him to build the temple. But when, they, when the nation of Israel shifted from the Davidic season into the Solomonic, the Bible says that God gave Solomon peace all around. So that he was able to build. In fact, if you read the rest of First Kings here, he begins to employ the experts in different kinds of wood. And he begins to import all kinds of awesome wood of all kinds. Did I just say awesome twice? All kinds of wood to build the temple of the Lord. You know, and so he had peace. That was that. If he had to keep on fighting, he wouldn't be able to do that. And so in the similar way, Pastor Benjamin would say, God is giving you peace all around. And what was cool is last year, God really gave our church peace all around. I mean, it's amazing. Like, if you know the inside story, it is quite supernatural how it was going from intense warfare. And then God just gave us peace. And so this season that we're in currently, it's a Solomonic season. And one thing you focus on during the Solomonic season is not warfare. It is building. And I believe that God is pouring out his spirit upon our church because he wants New Philly, this remnant people, many of you from a different country living in this foreign land. He wants you to build. He wants you to 
build, build great businesses, build the house of God, build nonprofit organizations, build, you know, go in and renew the government, renew different things, you know. And God wants us to build at this season. And in order to build, we need wisdom. God doesn't want you to just build. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to just work harder. He doesn't just want you to just be busy. He wants you to build with wisdom. Build with inspiration. Build things that will change the world. Build things that the world has yet to see. And in order to build at that kind of level, we need the wisdom of God. Now, the cool thing about wisdom is the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. Everybody say, good thing. Good. Wisdom is a good thing, and it benefits those who see the sun. Uh, real poetic there. All right, very good. Wisdom is like an inheritance. It is a good thing. Proverbs twenty-three twenty-three says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. Buy wisdom. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. You know, if you can go on eBay right now, and they were selling wisdom, how much money would you give to buy it? Many of you probably wouldn't, wouldn't search for wisdom on eBay, would you? But what if you could buy wisdom and it cost you $5,000 and you only make, you know, $2,500, $3,000 a month? Would you be willing to save up money to pay $5,000 to get a pretty good measure of wisdom? Would you do it? Would you bid for it? If somebody, you bid $5,000 and somebody like Alan Netrauer gets onto the same item and he says, I'm going to bid $5,500, would you be willing to outbid Alan Netrauer? To get that wisdom. Well, the Bible says, buy it. Do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, you need to get wisdom. It is the most precious commodity on the earth. It ain't gold. It ain't silver. It ain't cash money. It's wisdom. You know, if you have wisdom, it will generate wealth. You know, there are a lot of people who have no wisdom. They get money. You know, certain athletes, right? They get, they get money. Let's just use boxers because everyone knows boxers go broke really easy. And Mike Tyson, you know, these Evander Holyfield types, you know, they become champions. They make tons of money. Even if they lose, they make money. But these boxers, shortly thereafter, they make their millions and millions. They're completely bankrupt and broke. Why? It's because... The Bible says somewhere, I don't know where, right? It says like wisdom, uh, I mean wealth in the hands of a fool. It's like sand in your hand or something. <laughs> I don't know, water in your hand. Something, 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 some cool metaphor like that. It'd be like, something like that. Hey, what's my point? The Bible, the Bible says whatever it costs, you get yourself some wisdom. Proverbs twenty eight twenty six says, He who trusts in himself is a fool. 
You know, we got a lot of people in our postmodern generation, in our postmodern culture, they only trust themselves. They don't trust their pastor. They don't trust their mama. No, they just trust themselves. They define what truth is. Everything's relative. I define what truth is. You know what the Bible calls that person? He who trusts in himself is a fool. Everybody say fool. That's the getaway to say fool, right? Fool. Um, But the Bible says he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Isn't that awesome? If you walk in wisdom... You have safety all around. You don't have to fear a thing. But when you walk in foolishness, you better be very afraid. Because your next step, you might stumble into something, something real disastrous. But when you walk in wisdom, the Bible says, he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Isn't that awesome? That's why when you build a church with the wisdom of God, there's safety all around. You know, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, I grew up in churches and a lot of it was a lot of man's wisdom. It was a lot of worldly wisdom. It was a lot of psychology. You know, it's a lot of wisdom that wasn't really wisdom from God. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) It wasn't really wisdom from God. And if you go to churches like that, you don't feel safe. You don't feel safe. You you don't know. You don't know what you're going to get. You look at the leadership, you don't feel safe. You start opening up about your life and you're like, oh, I need to get healed. I need to open up. And as you're opening up, you're like, can I trust this person? Do I feel safe? You know, but when there is no wisdom, there is no safety. Proverbs 24, 14 says, know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. That's awesome. Wisdom is like candy to your soul. And if you got wisdom, you find it, then there's a future hope for you. Your future is bright, optimistic. If you find and walk in wisdom and your hope, the Bible says, will not be cut off. So you can see that the Bible has a very high view of wisdom. It values it above almost every other thing in the Bible. Wisdom is highly treasured. Now, we all know. The source of all wisdom is what? Is eBay? No. Right? Is uh, Columbia University? Is that the source of all wisdom? Is it Yonsei University? Is it NYU? Is it Rutgers? Is Rutgers the source of all wisdom, David on? <laughs> and all God's people said no. <laughs> now, we all know the source of all wisdom is the Lord. Proverbs 2, 6 says, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The source of all wisdom is the Lord. Proverbs 24, verse 3 says, by wisdom a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. You know, as our church, we continue to do church plants. And we expand our college ministry into new college campuses. And as we begin new ministries within this house, we need to do all of these things with wisdom. These things require wisdom because the Bible says by wisdom, a house is built. You think they're just talking about home improvement? 
You know, of course, you need wisdom when you do a physical house as well. You know, it's really cool. Aaron and I, one of the things we love watching is the home uh, improvement network, whatever. What's it called? Uh, one of those home makeover channels. There's like a whole cable TV channel dedicated to home improvement shows. And there's so many home improvement shows. And usually they're, they're like, they have a British accent. The guys who host it, they have like a British accent. They dress very metro um, and whatnot. But, um, and they do incredible things. They take this rundown house and they beautify it. They take this house that's, you know, $100,000 and then they put in $30,000 of work, but then they can price the house at $250,000. You know, it's, it's so fun to watch. There's um, a show called Love It or Le- List It. Love It or List It. It's one of our favorite shows. Because what it, what it does is they take a married couple who's kind of unhappy with their current home. And there's two people that come in from the show. One person is there to take the budget of the owner and improve the house so that they will love it and stay. And then a second person is competing with that first person to look around the neighborhood to find another home that they can move into at an affordable price. And so oftentimes, you know, they, are, they show the, uh, the, home, the improvement person that's trying to work with the budget. They're trying to work with the house. And then there's all this like termites and all these things that they, they couldn't foresee. And so they're like, I can't give you all the improvements you want. But these are the ones I can give. And then the owners, the, the married couple, they always get angry. They're like, this is not what I want. And then the wife is all pouting. And the husband's all like arguing. And like, come on, you know, this is okay. And then, and then the, uh, the real estate guy goes around the neighborhood and finds these amazing houses at these amazing prices. And you're like, man, they definitely are going to move out. Why would they want to stay at this dinky home with these dinky improvements? They're definitely going to want to move out. But the, at the end of the show, after you see all these improvements, a lot of times the wife is convinced to stay. Usually the wife is the one that wants to go and the husband wants to stay. But then once the wife is convinced to stay, then they both stay. Anyway, a lot of times they stay. And why did I tell you that? Why did I tell you that? The Bible's not talking about by wisdom a physical house is built. That's not the only thing they're talking about. It's talking about house. Remember the, the teachings I did on the word house, right? In the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That word house in the Greek is oikos. It's a word used for the household of God, for the family of God. So when you talk about the house of God, in the Old Testament, oftentimes referred to the temple in Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, when you talk about the house of God, you're talking about a covenant community of a local church. We have an awesome house here, Amen. This new Philly house is a house that is being built up by wisdom. I hope. <laughs> you all feel safe? Yeah. I hope, I hope we're doing it in wisdom then. So the most precious commodity, according to scripture, is not money, gold, or silver. It is wisdom. If they sold wisdom on eBay, would you be willing to be the highest bidder? How can I get wisdom? Whether you want to start a business, you want to go into the ministry, you're involved with Emmaus, you're doing even healing deliverance ministry. How can I do this with the wisdom of God? And when I'm talking about wisdom, I'm not just talking about like, you know, like, um, Taoism is Taoism is that no, Confucian Confucius no, Confucianism you know those 
those wise sayings by Confucius. You know, Korea's culture has been widely influenced by Confucianism. And so, you know, Koreans still, they, they repeat all these, even Korean Christians, sometimes they will repeat these wise sayings of Confucius and they mistake in it for the Bible. You know, but what, what the nation of Korea needs right now is not more of Confucius, we need more of Christ. Because Christ has a superior wisdom than one, than this old, was he Chinese? Was Chinese or Indian? <laughs> Chinese, right? <laughs> Sorry, the Buddh- Buddhism is rooted in India, all right? Don't, don't mistake in that, all right? So that's why I asked that. Anyway, how do you gain wisdom? I'm going to talk about three ways you can gain wisdom. So let me talk about, according to Scripture, three ways in which you can gain wisdom. Number one, Psalm 111.10 and Proverbs 9.10 says the same thing. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Number one. If you want to gain wisdom, you got to learn how to fear the Lord. You got to learn how to walk in righteousness, in justice. You got to be holy before God. You want to walk in wisdom? Then you got to deal with your impurity issues. You know, you think, oh, yeah, nobody will find out about me looking at these websites. Will be looking at me looking at these, you know, lustful images. Nobody's ever going to find out. All right. If you keep up at it on that kind of attitude and behavior, that is the attitude and behavior of a fool. Because the Bible says you're not even at the beginning of wisdom yet. Because that kind of attitude and behavior is one that lacks the fear of the Lord. Now, I know, brothers, we, we struggle. We struggle with that kind of stuff. And I'm not here to beat you down with more and more guilt over it. But I'm speaking truth. I, as the pastor of this house, I want to command you. To get rid of all that stuff. Be done with it. Be dead to sin and alive in Christ. And I know that in the past, you've had your accountability. You had your leaders, your small group leaders tell you, you, you got to try harder. You got to try harder. No, it's not about trying harder. It's about the attitude in, of your heart and mind. You just got to be done with it. So that even if you fall along the way, when you get right back up, your attitude's got to be the same. It's not try harder. It's I'm done with it. Why did I do just that? I'm done with this. I'm dead to sin. You know, and sometimes the, re- the greatest resurrection power that's alive in the men of God is the resurrection power to resurrect the dead. Except you're resurrecting the flesh. You're resurrecting the lustful, sinful nature. The Bible says, be dead to sin, alive in Christ. And I know, I know that in terms of our actual action and behavior, we might stumble and fall here and there. But what is the attitude that you're keeping toward that thing? Is it filled with the fear of the Lord? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you want to gain more and more wisdom and you want to walk in wisdom, number one, you got to learn how to fear the Lord. You got to learn how to put him number one in your life. If you're dabbling with occultism, you got to repent and turn away from all the divination, all the psychics, all the palm, read, uh, the palm readers, the tarot card readers, any kind of witchcraft, any kind of occultism, you got to turn away from it. Any kind of idolatry. Even if you are at your family reunion in a few weeks, many people are going to be going down to their family hometowns, who people who are Koreans. I'm going down to Daegu. 
And my family continues to partake in what's called chesa. 고등부 학생들 chesa 뭔지 아시죠? Chesa is when you bow down to pictures and graven dead images of your ancestors in order to receive blessing. That the Bible says is an abomination to God. That is idolatry. And if you are going to walk in the fear of the Lord, you got to be willing to talk to Kunapa, the oldest son in the family. You go talk to him and he said, Kunapa-ji, 죄송하지만요. 저는 기독교 믿기 때문에 이제부터 이 제사하는 거는 못하겠습니다. 참석할 수 없습니다. 그나머지 용서해 주세요. <웃음> no, that's, that should be your attitude. You know, you should be respectful. You know, and just out of out of you know respect, you tell them you know you're sorry about this, but this is the stand that you're willing to take because the fear of the Lord is upon your heart. You know, the first time I did that, you know, it was like way back in 2005. You know, and I was I was a little bit nervous. I thought my kunabaji, you know, he's normally a peaceful guy. You know, I thought he would hear about my request and he would just throw that chesa table with all the all the chicken and fruit on it. I thought he was gonna throw it and be like, "What?" 미국에 살다가 왔더니 나쁜 놈. I thought he was gonna say something like that. You know, I got real nervous. I got real nervous. I was like, "Kunabaji." And I told him that I wasn't going to do chessa anymore. And my kunabaji just looked at me and said, 그래, 그래, 그래. I'm, I'm from Daegu, so a lot of 경상도 men, they don't say much, right? But, but that, was, that, that was his answer. He was just like, 그래. And that was it. And after that, you know, I, just, I just stand in the back and I just pray for my relatives. I pray for my cousins. As they partake in it, I'm praying for them to have the veils lifted from their eyes. And that they would have the fear of the Lord in their hearts. They would stop worshiping and bowing down to images. And they would begin to bow down to Jesus alone. Number one is the fear of the Lord. Number two. Ecclesiastes 2.26. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner who gives, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth. To hand it over to the one who pleases God. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I like that. I'm going to read that again. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 2.26. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Isn't that crazy? Second way you gain wisdom is you got to please the Lord. First, you fear the Lord and you avoid evil. But second, you find out what pleases the Lord. Come before him with a heart that is going to bless him. Do the things that are going to please the Lord. Those things that you did in the very beginning when you first met Jesus. You know, for all the married couples, those things that you used to do when you were first romancing your wife. You know, I'll confess. I thought when I was young, 
that whenever I get married, I will continue to do the romantic things that will, will have first won my heart, wife's heart. I thought that I would never lose that romance. I thought I would always come with her to her with poetry and flowers and all that. And let me, come, let me tell you that in the beginning, that's what I did. Aaron didn't particularly think it was all that romantic, but you know, I still did it. I wrote her poetry. If you know uh, my engagement story, right? That night I wrote her, I gave her six gifts to celebrate our six-month anniversary. And then the sixth gift was the engagement ring. And so it was like, it was like, you know, I did this rhyming thing. It was like, Aaron, Aaron Lee, this is gift uh, number six. And I, I forgot, I forgot. It was mad romantic though, man. It was mad romantic. I thought I would never lose that fire. I never, never lose that romance. But let me tell you, man. It was like two months into our marriage. <laughs> hey, I'm just warning all the sisters, all right? I'm warning also the brothers, all right? Reality check, all right? Two months in, all right, it just, I was just like... Ah. Hey, hey, and, and you got to start thinking, you got to start budgeting for the family. You got to start, you know, being the head of the household and managing the funds. So you can't be giving all them expensive gifts all the time. So in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm going to give her flowers on our anniversary, on her birthday, on Valentine's Day, you know, something like that. It was like three days, right? But nowadays, I think I just eliminated to one. (laughs) Anyway, you got a budget. You got to think about your budget. All right. Anyway, even in your relationship with God, it's a good thing. Good thing to go back to your first love. Do those things you used to do in the beginning. You know, you can romance the heart of God. You might be like, well, no, God's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows that I'm going to do these things before I even do them. Man, that, 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 that is not a biblical view of God. God's an emotional God. God emotion, He got emotions. The Bible says Jesus is the manifestation. He is the manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus came to earth and he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the Bible still says that when he arrived, Jesus wept. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looked like he was about to panic. He was going through the anguish of having to endure that cross. You know, God, God has emotions, you know, and so even when we do things that surprise him, things that were not of his particular initiative, as we can tell, as, much, as far as we can tell, right? But it's really from our choice and our initiative. When we come before him, you can really move the heart of God. You can really romance God and please him and bless him. One way in which you can please the Lord consistently is to walk in the spirit of sonship. This is the way in which you can please the Lord in a steadfast manner. When Jesus came up out of the Jordan River at his baptism, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. What's that tell you? Jesus knew how to walk in the spirit of sonship. And because he walked in that spirit, the father said affirmingly over him, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. And you walk in an orphan spirit, that doesn't please the Lord. When you're just rebellious and just 
independent, that doesn't please the Lord. But when you walk in the spirit of sonship, in a similar way, God's voice says over you, I'm well pleased with you. You want to please the Lord consistently and steadfastly, then learn to walk in the spirit of sonship just as Jesus did. And that's something that our church, we teach big on, is the spirit of sonship. If you want to know more about that, go back to our old sermons on our website, and you can find uh, a lot of messages about sonship. Uh, Proverbs 5.1 says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. Oh, man, I got printed all jacked up again. Okay, let me read this also. Um, the Bible also talks about discipline. Now, I know a whole bunch of you just finished the Naomi discipline. And I just looked over the reports from the leadership pastors of how people did during their discipline. And let me tell you, these leadership pastors, they did not pull the punches. They told it as it is. And for the most part, most of y'all completed your discipline with a great attitude and a wonderful heart. And I, 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 I got, not all y'all, <laughs> but... uh. Most of y'all, most of y'all. And when I read it, I was blessed. It was like a, te- it was reading a testimony. And the pastor is like, this person did it with joy. They did, I, I assigned them like homework. I told them like for some of the people that broke the Naomi discipline. Uh, if you don't know what that is, just know that they did some bad things. <laughs> some, of, some of our leaders did things that broke my trust. So I gave them some discipline over a period of a few months involving like church cleaning more than most leaders do. Uh, doing like uh, book assignments, doing sermon reviews. And the leadership pastors told me that some people, they, they shifted and they did it with a spirit of sonship. They did it with joy. So that discipline was a life-giving thing. It really blessed them. And I think that all had to do with attitude. It all had to do with attitude. The Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves. Like a father, a son. If he's not disciplining you, that means he's not treating you like a son. So if your pastor wants to represent the heart of God the Father to you, that pastor should stop letting you go for every foolish little thing that you do. If your pastor is overseeing the praise team, and you are on the praise team, and you're playing that keyboard, and all the girls are looking at you like, oh, he plays that keyboard so much, so, so smooth. And you know that, and you start, you start hanging out with some of these girls, and then one of the girls, you sleep with one of the girls. You sleep, you sleep with the bassist. <laughs> Whatever, you know. If, if the pastor who's overseeing the praise team, if he's going to represent God the Father to you, he should take you off that praise team for a season. Just be like, hey, this behavior, it just shows that you're not healthy. You got bondage in your life or something. We got to deal with this and we're going to deal with it while you are off the team. I would love for you to get back on the team, but I will let you know when the timing is right. But, you know, a lot of pastors, they don't do that. They go, oh, man, we, we, you are such a good keyboardist. Hey, don't tell nobody what you did. Hey, hey, true story. True story. More common than not. Right? Pastor will actually recommend. Actually, the senior pastor of the Korean church, not this Korean church. Of other Korean churches, you know what they did? They went out of the way to tell the English ministry pastor, to tell the praise leader, don't tell nobody what happened. And it's because of Confucianism. They don't want to bring shame onto the church. And they they try to keep it all hidden. 
And they let them continue to serve on the praise team. And what usually happens when kept, things are kept hidden? The bondage gets worse. So he sleeps with more people. Now he's gone through the electric guitarist and the, uh, and the drummer. <laughs> Man, it happens though. It happens. But here's, here's, here's what the Bible says. A good father disciplines his sons. Proverbs 29, 15. Check this out. This is awesome. In the NIV, it says this. The rod of discipline, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. Oh, come on. Come on. Some of y'all need an impartation today. Come up here. Let me give you an impartation of wisdom. The rod of correction imparts wisdom. But a child left to himself disgraces his mother. You want to be a good son? You want to walk in the spirit of sonship? When your spiritual leaders gives you discipline, take it with a good attitude. Don't take it with the attitude of an illegitimate son. In America, we call that, excuse my English, bastard. Don't take it with the attitude of a bastard because you're not a bastard. Don't take it with the attitude of an orphan. Oh, you know, uh, they want to take me off the praise team. And I bet God's calling me to another church. That's the attitude of the orphan. You're just going from house to house, looking for somewhere that, that's going to accommodate your sin, sin, sinful lifestyle. Take it like a son. Thank you, pastor. Thank you. You're going to give me what homework? Thank you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Are you sure you don't want to give me more homework? That's the, that's the question you should be asking. Are you sure you don't want to give me more? Because I want an impartation of wisdom. Give me that discipline. Pastor, give me that discipline. Because I've been walking like a fool with a bassist. Impart some wisdom upon me. Give me some discipline. Hey, when you walk in the spirit of sonship, man, that is the way you consistently you please the Lord. God is well pleased with you when you walk in that spirit. And number three, number one is fear the Lord. Number two is please the Lord. Number three is simply you ask the Lord. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. The book of James says, you do not have because you do not ask. In James 1, 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. God gives generously. Do you notice that when God gave Solomon wisdom, he didn't give him like an itty bitty wisdom to just get by? You know, I know, I know how much wisdom you need to be the king, so here you go. It's the bare minimum. No, God gave him a generous amount of wisdom. Just like James says here, he should ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give you generously. In fact, it says in 1 Kings 3.10, we read it earlier. When Solomon asks for wisdom in his dream, the Bible says, the Bible interprets it for us. It says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. How did the author of 1 Kings know this? Everything about that? It pleased the Lord. Who are you to say that it pleased him? Who is this author that wrote 1 Kings that figured out that it pleased the Lord? 
We don't know. We don't know exactly how it happened. But it was written down. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Make sure that line goes in there. That when Solomon asked for wisdom, it pleased the Lord. So points two and three are connected in that way. You want, you want to please the Lord, but when you ask for wisdom, it also pleases the Lord. Ask the Lord for wisdom. When I was uh, serving with uh, Korea Campus Crusade for Christ, I was fresh out of college. Actually, uh, my good friend, uh, Bobby O, is in the, in the house. Uh, we went to college together at New York University. In fact, actually, the first few times I met Bobby, man, <laughs> he, he, he's, he, he, he cracked me up. He, he's like one of those guys that just cracks me up. But he's like, he's like ghetto. He tries to hide it better than I do, but he's mad ghetto. He's like, he grew up in Queens. Uh, he's got this, uh, I don't know if you, if you mind, but he got this long scar on his thigh. Because he got involved with some foolishness when he was a teenager. Got in a big knife fight, and some dude took a knife and, and scraped his whole thigh. Anyway, anyway, that's not him. <laughs> anyway, he, he's sitting in the back. Uh, our church, actually, we support him uh, a, li- a little bit each month to support his ministry in L.A. He's doing a worship ministry. He's also the missions director for LAKC. Uh, so he's, he's, he's here on a sabbatical with his family. And uh, I remember when I was uh, just graduated from NYU. And Bobby actually also, he took staff training with me for us to take staff training to be on staff with Korea Campus to Save Christ. And I remember, man, when I started ministry at Columbia University Together with Bobby, when we were doing Columbia ministry, uh, Columbia University ministry, I remember feeling like a little intimidated. Now, for many years of my college days, I thought NYU was better than Columbia. So I used to always, like, I used to play that game. Whenever we do, like, joint retreats with Columbia, like, like I get all our, our NYU small group guys, and we go and we tackle those nerdy Columbia students. <laughs> And we like we rub fa- snow in their face and be like, you nerd, you know, you, you suck, you know. NYU is better, you know. <laughs> we used to have Korean culture nights, right? We used to have Korean culture nights where we do all these cultural uh, presentations, and we always make fun of Columbia. I remember one time this uh, did, do, do, did a skit, and uh, he had an NYU uh, sweatshirt on, and another guy, he's an NYU student, but he had a Columbia sweatshirt on. And in the skit, like at the end of the skit, he tackles the Columbia guy because he's trying to be all smart and stuff. So he tackles them and he falls to the ground. And then he goes, now you understand. <laughs> anyway, we used to like do, we used to dong. But when I got to Columbia as the staff and I had to love on these, love on these students now. It felt like Jonah being called to Nineveh. I was like, Lord, anywhere but Columbia, Lord. And so I go out there and I start meeting these students. And, you know, at NYU, we saw a lot of fruit. So, you know, I was hoping just use the same methods and we see a lot of fruit. But the Columbia students, man, they different. They's different. (laughs) And I just remember my first year of ministry, the mantra of my heart was, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know how to handle these students. I'm losing patience. You know, students, they think they're smarter than me. They all of them, they think they're smarter than me. Lord, give me wisdom so that when I preach, 
I'll appear smarter than them. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I used, to, I used to pray like that. I used to pray, give me such supernatural wisdom so they know that it is you who is speaking through me. And so, so that, you know, they, they aren't all critical and trying to, like, take apart my message all the time. So I used to prepare, like, way more hours than I do today for my sermons. Like, I used to write it out word for word. I'll do all this research because, you know, at Columbia, you can't just, you know, you can't, I didn't preach every week, though. I used to preach, like, once a month or something. But you can't just let things slide. I mean, these Columbia students, they would, they would like, take notes, but they're not taking notes of what the good things you said. They're taking notes of all the bad things that they can criticize. I remember our, our, worship, our worship leader, Brian Kim, man, the boy used to do that all the time. He'd be like, you got the stats wrong, you got the wrong source. No, no, uh, he, didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. I suspected he was, but I don't think he did that. <clears throat> anyway, all I know is I kept asking God for wisdom. I kept asking God for wisdom because I felt like I lacked it. And let me tell you something. I really believe that all the things that I did in my first and second years of ministry at Columbia and all the fruit that we were able to see, it really came as a result of God pouring out wisdom upon me. Because I, I, I knew how to do campus ministry, but at the same time, I didn't really know how to do campus ministry. You know what I mean? It was, it was my first experience. And God really gave me wisdom. You know, when I started repeating that prayer again, 2008, January of 2008, when the Cheer Songdo, they asked me, why don't you take over as the lead pastor for Pastor Sam Epen, our, our old lead pastor? He left. He's left suddenly. So they're, can you, can you take over? I was like, I was like, let me pray about it. And after I prayed about it, I said yes. I remember asking the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. Because I know how to do a little bit of college ministry, but I don't know how to pastor a church. You know, I'm not a PK, you know. And even if I, if I was a PK, most PKs don't even know how to run a, run a church because they're so wounded from their, from their fathers. I was like, man, Lord, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's a close friend. I mean, I knew some pastor friends, but, you know, not really that close. I don't know who to go to. I only got you, Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And let me tell you, man, I look back on that first and second year. I'm like, wow, I'm really smart. We, we faced some difficult situations the first two years because there was no structure. There was no safety in the beginning. So it was, uh, it was messy, and especially with, you know, us stewarding a more uh, spirit-filled environment. Man, it was crazy. But I remember I would just be able to give the answer. People would ask, and I'll just be able to give the answer. And I'll, I'll go home alone, and I'll just be like, where did I get that from? I hope this works. And it, and it works, and I'm like, Wow. I, I am convinced that it is God's faithfulness to the, to the request. All I did was ask, and God gave, and God gave generously. And, you know, at this hour, this year of inspiration, as we begin to really build, not just fight, fight, fight demonic spirits, but we start building, I'm asking God once again, Lord, I'm not the most creative person I know. I need your wisdom. And so I was looking back at some of the prophecies that some of the IHOP leaders spoke over me two years ago, some, three years ago. And then what they spoke over me was, Lord, give them the wisdom to let things go. Uh, we're going to talk, Brady, later. 
That was too loud. That was way too loud. And I'll give them the wisdom to uh, learn to learn to gather people, to disciple people, but but not to control people. Give them the wisdom to steward all the gift of people that you're going to bring into this church. And like these IOP leaders, they spoke that over me. I was rereading that, and I was like, "Yeah, I need that wisdom even more right now, because we have reached the level of maturity where I now need to start releasing and delegating, and that's what I'm trying to do with all the executive directors." All the ways in which we're running ministry a different way this year. And I believe as we do that, there's going to be more inspiration. You know? I mean, I look at what we did at the Christmas service with the dance performance, what Danny Kim. You know, with all that Danny had to go through with restoration and then being restored. And then for me to give him that assignment, it was like his first assignment after restoration. I was like, Danny, just go for it. I'm putting you in charge. He said, like, yeah, me? I said, like, yeah, I'm putting you in charge. You go. You got two weeks. <laughs> And in like two and a half weeks, they put together a group of like 20, 20, 25 people. And they danced every, they practiced every single night. And they came up with this dance choreography from scratch. And they just, just went out. And they just performed this beautiful hip-hop performance. That is not like this performance like, look at us dancers. But, you know, we try to make it inspirational. We started off with a spoken word. You know, and the real incredible thing is the testimonies that came out of the practicing group. Apparently, there was some kid that kept joining in, joined them for practice, but the kid won't say nothing. He was just mute. He was just wouldn't say anything. But on the after the Christmas service, after they performed, they were eating chicken that I bought them. So the team's eating chicken. As they were eating chicken, the the guy who didn't say a single word, all of a sudden he says, "Can I say something?" And they're like, "Oh." You talk. <laughs> and the guy said something to the effect of, I am so blessed. I've been so blessed by watching you guys interact with each other. I've been kind of distant from the Lord. But from watching you guys, I want to get back with Jesus. All right, that was the gist of it, right? And then the girl started crying. <laughs> huh? The guys cry too? Which guys? Give me their names. You got it right here? <laughs> For me, what I saw, what I saw Danny and our, our, our church members being able to do with that dance, it was like a prelude to the year of inspiration. You know what I mean? Look what God is about to do in this church. It's going to just be an abundance of inspiration in every area of influence that our, our church people have. And, and I really want to support the arts in a, in a renewed way this year. And so we're hoping to build a dance studio in the Per Tabernacle when we acquire it. And so... So you, when you ask the Lord, God is always faithful to pour out wisdom. And I'm going to close with this. The world thinks that it has wisdom with its science, philosophy, psychology. But once again, 
The source of all true wisdom is God alone. So let me read to you First Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read to you. Just listen. For the word of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So the Apostle Paul asks, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Koreans and white people, black people and Malaysians, half adopt whatever. To those who are called, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Through the cross, you know, Jesus Christ has become to us the wisdom of God. It is because of the cross that we can ask God for wisdom in the arts. It is because of the cross, the, the way has been made for you to ask God for wisdom in your business, inspiration for your ministry, inspiration for your restaurant. It is the cross that has made the way. Jesus on that cross has become for us the wisdom of God and has given us full access to communion with him, the source of all wisdom. The Bible also says one more thing in Isaiah 11, that a shoot will come forth from the root of Jesse. I hope I'm getting that right. And from his branch, uh, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. It's talking about the Messiah. And upon him will be the spirit of the sovereign Lord. And the first line says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the spirit of God is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Now, the cool thing is, for all those who trust in Jesus, the same spirit of God that was anointing Jesus is the same spirit of God who wants to fill you and come upon you. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. So that not only do you have just spurts of wisdom, but you're able to walk in wisdom at all times. Always. And to please the Father always. Just as Jesus did. Because Jesus has become for us wisdom and the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom is upon us, no matter who you are. Whether you have a college degree or not. No matter who you are. Whether you're in the back and you're part of this kodungbu and you don't even understand all the, all the sermon content right now. Doesn't matter who you are. If you have Jesus and you have the spirit of God, you can ask God for wisdom and you can accomplish things beyond your wildest imagination. I'm sure that the Rhodes Scholars in the Ivy Leagues, they're going to do great things. But God also uses the fishermen 
who never even got to afford a college degree. God can use the prostitute to be the greatest evangelist for one Samaritan town. And that's what the first Corinthians one twenty six ends with. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God set it up in such a way so that you ask him for wisdom. He gives it to you generously when you feel like you, you don't, you're not very wise. And through that, God receives all the glory so that the one who boasts can boast in the Lord. You know, Pastor Christian Lee, when I come in my quiet time before God, I don't come to God and say, Lord, look what I'm building. Look at this amazing ministry. Aren't you proud of me? Nah, I, I don't do that. Why? Because I know the inside story. I know the inside story. The inside story is Pastor Christian, he fell asleep while, while preparing his sermon. Pastor Christian, he was shopping for memory upgrades for his MacBook Air when he should have been preparing his sermon. <laughs> he was on Facebook way too long than he should have. That's the inside story. But in the moment where I, I, I was in my greatest weakness, whenever I've called upon the Lord, he's been faithful to answer. And he's been patient with my bad habits. He doesn't disqualify me. He doesn't cut me off because of my bad habits. He's like, you need to get, you need to improve those bad habits. But he says, it's all by my grace. So when I come before God, I just say, Lord, this is amazing what you're doing in, in, in this church. And my boast is in you. Because it's your wisdom that is building this house. And right now, church, we want more of that wisdom. Amen. We want more of that wisdom. I want everyone to just close your eyes. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to ask God for wisdom. If you have not been walking in righteousness and holiness, I want to invite you to fear the Lord this day. Because the ways in which you have been walking is not wise at all. It's just foolish. So if you've not been walking with Jesus, I want to invite you today. Repent of your ways. Let the fear of the Lord fill your heart so that you will forsake your foolishness and begin to walk in wisdom and in safety and live. And for all those who are already walking rightly before God, I want you to ask God, Lord, awaken my first love for you so that I may do the things that please your heart. And for all those who are walking in a way that is already pleasing the Lord, you're walking in the spirit of sonship already and you have particular assignments where you feel like you can't do it alone where you feel like the dreams God's put on your heart is overwhelming, then come before God and ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for wisdom. 
And the Bible promises God will give generously. God will give generously. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Everyone just pray on your own. I'm not, I'm not going to give you the words of this prayer. Just like Solomon had to pray. He had to speak forth his own requests out of his own volition, out of his own will. I want you to bring it out of your own will and tell God, Lord, I, I'm asking you today for wisdom. I'm asking you to turn my life around. I want you to talk to God in your own words right now. Come on. Let's spend about a couple minutes just praying that way. Come on.